consumed in the midst of fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. My name is Craig Johnson. This week, obviously, we're going to be talking, continuing to talk about United States politics. My sincerest apologies uh, for those of you who are sick and tired of hearing about politics in the United States. It's just the most important shit going down in the world of the right wing right now. We're going to talk about the ongoing aftermath of the coup on January 6th, the conclusion of Trump's presidency, and what that means for the future of the right wing in this country. Start off this week, we'll talk about the inauguration of the current president of the United States, Joseph R. Biden. Biden's inaugurational speech was, honestly, it was pretty milquetoast. It was pretty dull, you know. Uh, he said the things that you might expect him to say, primarily focusing on, you know, reconciliation and unity within the United States. This is precisely what we can expect from the Biden administration, at least rhetorically. Um, they, they've given all indications that they're going to try to sweep the past of the Trump administration as far under the rug as they possibly can. And they're not really interested in pursuing legal action against members of Congress who were in any way involved in the coup attempt on January 6th or in any other of the, you know, illegal things that went on during the Trump administration. Now, there is a potential argument for this, you know, they want the United States to move on. Essentially, they want to restore the status quo of the Obama administration, right? But the problem is that when you're dealing with the extreme right wing, uh, they're engaging in what is essentially an entirely different game. Uh, they're not playing to restore the status quo. They're not playing by the rules. They're seeing what they can get away with. And if it turns out that it is possible to get away with literally materially supporting an attempted coup against the federal government, then that's not going to stop. Um, people are not going to forget that it was possible for them to do that and get away with it and keep their congressional jobs, keep their positions in the media, uh, continue to espouse the kind of rhetoric that they do. They're not going to forget that. One of the more interesting parts of Biden's inaugural address and the speeches made by several other people uh, at the inauguration were the references to white supremacy and fighting white supremacy. Now, these are good things. You know, it's good that the incoming president acknowledged that white supremacy is a major problem facing the United States public sphere and facing his administration in particular. Obviously, it should be a no-brainer that this is an issue in the United States and in the Western world in general. But the fact that he acknowledged it is, you know, it's good. But think about what this acknowledgement doesn't talk about. He wasn't talking about the right wing. He was just talking about white supremacy. He wasn't talking about conservatism. He was just talking about white supremacy. He wasn't talking about fascism in particular. He was talking about white supremacy. Now, there are some things that are good about talking about white supremacy instead of any of these things. You know, it acknowledges that white supremacy is an ideological function of much or if not arguably all of U.S. society or Western society in general. Um, that it is a part of how people think and act and behave all the time, whether or not they are themselves a, you know, out racist, a member of the Ku Klux Klan or a member of a neo-Nazi organization, or even somebody like Donald Trump, uh, that white supremacy is as a pernicious ideology, a structural force in the way that the United States and the Western world works. However, my suspicion is that Biden was not talking about it in this, you know, structural ideological way that Biden wasn't said saying, hey, 
we need to stop the fascists who tried to assault the Capitol building, which again, yeah, that's a very good thing to do, but not thinking about them in the context of the kind of ideological groundwork that was laid for them by the Trump administration uh, or by the last several decades and centuries of white supremacist ideology and organizing in the United States and the West is a disservice. It, it, it means that you don't understand how they work, how they organize, how they mobilize, what their plans are, you know, what their intentions are in the future of the United States, e even the near future, you know, in the next coming days and months. Speaking of the coming days and months and the near future of the United States and the extreme right in it, let's talk a little bit about the ongoing aftermath of the attempted coup on January 6th. There have been several more arrests and detentions made by the federal government uh, regarding people who committed the crime of trying to stage a coup against the United States. Uh, there has also been a lot more information gained about some of the attendees of the rally. Uh, for example, we know that a convicted abortion site bomber was at the rally, uh, and also that Proud Boys leader Randall Biggs uh, was arrested in Florida by the federal government uh, for organizing the Capitol rally and also for being there. Uh, that's from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Randall Biggs is one of the national organizers of the Proud Boys. Uh, he now joins Enrique Tario, the official national leader of the Proud Boys, uh, in police custody. This means that uh, the two biggest organizers of the Proud Boys on a national level are in jail, and it's possible that they'll be there for some time, given the things that they uh, are being charged with. Additionally, we have evidence that several National Guardsmen who would have otherwise been occupying the Capitol during Biden's inaugural address in order to protect it from potential right-wing activity were suspended. They were barred from carrying out that mission because of their association with uh, right-wing groups and militias. This is from Politico. We also have ongoing disillusionment in the QAnon universe regarding the fact that, you know, their insurrection did not happen, that there was not a mass military uprising, you know, that the electoral count was not suspended, blah, blah, blah. All the things that the QAnon conspiracy theory alleged would happen in order to keep Donald Trump the president. We also see in the QAnon spheres and on right-wing messaging sites like Telegram that uh, former QAnon believers are being targeted specifically by extreme right-wing and by fascist groups. Uh, seeing this sort of period of disillusionment as a recruitment and radicalization moment. And they're definitely right about that. That's absolutely very possible that, that they could achieve those sorts of goals in this moment. Now, the one big thing that we did not see uh, on Inauguration Day was this sort of mass uprising across the country that, well, that QAnon fallaciously assumed would happen, but which fascist groups were actually planning for. It does look as if they have sort of gone back underground a little bit. You know, they're, they're, they're keeping their head low a little bit after, you know, a failed coup attempt uh, that has resulted in the arrest and detention of several of their biggest national leaders. Exactly what that means for the coming, you know, early months of the Biden administration, we'll, we'll just have to see. And on that note, what exactly is next for the right wing in the United States? Obviously, we know that there is continued organizing on the right wing. Uh, I talked about that a little bit in the previous segment. Uh, we also know that there are, well, of course, 
several extreme right-wing members of Congress still in the United States, uh, and that the majority of state offices, state governments, are still controlled by the Republicans. Uh, one of the Republicans in Congress, Marjorie Greene, has just... Uh, like immediately on January 20th, um, submitted impeachment proceedings for President Joe Biden. Uh, she has also been suspended from Twitter. Uh, Marjorie Green is somebody who's appeared several times on this podcast because she is a QAnon gun toting type Republican, you know, the kind that is either amenable to fascist rhetoric or is actually a true believer herself. I guess we'll see exactly how true of a believer she is as she begins her tenure in the United States Congress. We also have suggestions that Donald Trump and several other Republicans are seriously considering starting a new political party, the Patriot Party. This would be a, well, presumably it would be a right-wing nationalist political party. There's been chatter about starting a Patriot Party for, well, for years, actually, uh, since the early time of the Trump administration back in 2016, 2017. But this is the first time, at least that I'm aware of, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time I'm aware of that Donald Trump personally has talked about getting involved with these efforts. Um, if he actually lent his personal efforts and finances behind this, it it, it could be pretty interesting, um, especially considering that the Libertarian Party uh, and its, you know, continued existence in the United States since the 70s and 80s is due in no small part to the fact that uh, during its earlier years back in the 70s, uh, the Koch brothers uh, funded it significantly and thought that it might be an actual vehicle to getting some of their policies enacted. They, of course, bailed and just decided to help realign the Republican Party, which, yeah, was a better political bet. But, you know, it's possible that this Patriot Party could go somewhere. Of course, that's a little complicated by the fact that the United States electoral system is really only set up for two political parties, uh, as anybody who's ever voted for the Green Party can tell you. However, we are seeing now a period of serious realignment in the Republican Party, which means that it might be time for a new political party to take its place, or, or at least, you know, if this party is founded today, maybe it will be something real, you know, something actually capable of contesting national office in 10 years, in five years, in 15 and 20. Uh, if we think about the origins of the Republican Party itself, it was not dissimilar. Uh, the Republican Party originated out of the breakup of the Whig Party, which was one of the original two parties in the, you know, solidified two-party system of the Jacksonian era of the United States. You know, this is from the 1820s to the 1850s prior to the Civil War. Now, something a little bit less sexy, but equally important, in my opinion, uh, is the fact that Steve Bannon, a uh, longtime lauder of Donald Trump and once his uh, chief of staff and also the main architect of his 2016 win, received one of Donald Trump's last minute pardons. Uh, he received a presidential pardon for the fraud that he committed uh, against Trump supporters uh, by collecting a bunch of money from them, supposedly, in order to finish Donald Trump's border wall, uh, which Bannon just, just straight up embezzled. Now, Bannon is either an extremely savvy intellectual and somebody who's capable of moving on the right wing, whether or not he believes in it, or he is an honest-to-God, true-believing fascist. It sort of remains to be seen exactly which one of these is the case, but his public persona... Uh, the books that we know that he reads, uh, his 
lectures, his own podcast, um, the interviews that he's made really suggest that he does actually believe in something that deserves to be called fascism. Uh, Bannon really wants the radical realignment of the United States. He wants the realignment of society along a more traditionalist line. He really believes in these things. And the problem is that he's actually quite good at packaging these ideologies in a way that is palatable and a way that can actually win elections. You know, he he successfully helped Donald Trump win in 2016 when almost every political commentator in the Western world thought that it was impossible. The fact that this man will not be in jail or in hiding or in serious financial trouble because of, you know, a massive ongoing legal battle during the Biden administration, but will instead be free and at large and, you know, able to appear on television and do his thing and possibly even do some consulting work with some of these emerging fascist forces in the United States. It's a cause for alarm. This is not good. Steve Bannon is a force to be reckoned with on the right wing, not just in the United States, but globally. He's intentionally tried to build connections with right wing political groups in uh, Europe, uh, specifically with the Vox Party and with the uh, party of Matteo Salvini in Italy. This means that it's possible that he could be trying to actually create a system of right-wing cooperation or at least acknowledgement internationally. And then, you know, I'm not talking about it in a conspiratorial sense. I'm talking about just acknowledging that there is a wave of right-wing mobilization, right-wing electoral work, uh, right-wing successes, not just in the United States, but across the world. And that Bannon truly recognizes this. And as a strategist, he has the mind and has the proven capability of doing something with that kind of infrastructure. Still, though, we'd be remiss to see the end of the Trump administration without celebrating its conclusion. The Trump administration saw years of a serious nationalist turn in the United States. From the so-called Muslim ban to Trump's incredibly consistent anti-immigration and anti-Latinx policies uh, from his opposition to DACA to his proposed border wall to his horrible takes on LGBTQ rights to his opposition to addressing climate change to his horrible, horrible response to the coronavirus pandemic. Trump's administration was a travesty. And obviously, you know that, you know, this is not a surprise to anybody. But the fact that is often missed here is that Trump very possibly would have won the 2020 election were it not for the pandemic's recession. All signs were pointing to the economy being actually relatively okay throughout the year of 2020 in the United States without the pandemic, and with the economy doing well without having started a major war, and with a relatively dull and not particularly charismatic candidate on the Democratic side, it would have at least been a fight if not a pretty easy win for Trump. This is because his policies are actually popular for millions of people in the United States, and also because he successfully tapped into a moment of realignment within the Republican Party and globally toward the right wing. We can also see this in his gestures towards running to the Democrats' left, uh, his you know suggestion that he might be a president for working-class Americans, um, also, his clear connections to the extreme right, and of course, finally, his attempted coup on January 6th. 
Nevertheless, his defeat in the 2020 election is a setback to the right wing in the United States and the world, and thus it deserves to be celebrated, even though with, you know, an eye toward a continuing dangerous future. So on that note, uh, to the presidency of Donald Trump into this week in history, January 20th, 2021, we'll see you in hell. All right, that was this week's 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm still Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. And I will talk to you next week. Bye.